Shalom, Mishpocha. Welcome back to our Kadima Talk, part two of Self-Leadership Prevents Power Vacuum. There are seven signs you're living in a spiritual vacuum. Number one, you talk about Yeshua, but you haven't genuinely experienced him. He's distant and unreal in your everyday life. You know of him, but you don't know him. You don't see him. You've talked about him more than you walked with him. You're not hearing his voice. This is critical to raise up leaders in this hour. You can't live in a spiritual vacuum. You must have that intimate relationship with Yeshua. You can't talk about him. You've got to know him. Number two, your spiritual walk with Yeshua is more of a weekly service event. Boss a daily 24-7 walk with him. Religious services define your experience with Yeshua by Yeshua defining your life experiences. He is not a reality in your everyday life. If this is true, you're in a spiritual vacuum. Number three, you're in a spiritual vacuum if your walk with God is a facade of religion while the power is denied. You may do and say all the right things, avoid all the wrong things, but you're not demonstrating the power of God. Your walk is an outward appearance of religion, going through the motions while not experiencing and demonstrating the power of God. Number four, you're in a power vacuum if there are no supernatural transformational changes visible in your life or there hasn't been any change experienced in a long time. Your godly relationship has plateaued even though you're doing all the right things. It's impossible to genuinely experience Yeshua and remain unchanged. No personal change is a profound sign that your spiritual life is in a spiritual vacuum. World revival, a world awakening, begins with personal revival. Number five, you're in a spiritual vacuum if you're more concerned about God fitting into your life and desires by aligning your life to align and fit into God's will and desire. As I mentioned earlier about these recent statistics and polls we're seeing, what people are doing is, is trying to fit religion and God into their belief systems. That's not how it works. We're to transform into his likeness and transform into his kingdom. Number six, you're in a spiritual vacuum if you live unnoticed as a believer by the other people around you. As such, your neighbors, your work associates, schoolmates, friends, and family. The people around you can't tell you follow Yeshua by being around you. You're not visibly different than those around you because there's nothing to notice. You're not sought after for advice or help when their lives are in turmoil because they don't see Yeshua in you. You're in a spiritual vacuum if you live for the moment vice establishing your life in eternity. You live by and in the world vice being in it, but not of it. You don't have a global messianic vision. You're not an agent of change in this world. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things of this world. If someone loves the world, then love of the Father is not in him. Because all things of this world, the desires of the old nature, the desires of the eyes, the pretensions of life, are not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does God's will remains forever. In 1 John 5, 19 says, we know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. To get out of this, you have to lead yourself. And for men, this is one of the hardest tasks. Actually, I'll rephrase that and say for all humanity, not just men. Learning to lead yourself well is one of the most important things you'll ever do as a man. This will prevent power vacuums. Here's an important truth. People seldom see themselves realistically. Human nature seems to endow us with the ability to size up everybody in the world except ourselves. I've learned this in counseling, in conflict resolution. If you've got a problem between two people, you can't ever listen to one person because that person will never paint themselves in an unlikely, horrible light. 
They'll come in and say, I'm the victim. Someone's doing this. Someone's doing that. You have to hear the whole scenario from both parties and find out both people have faults. Sin has brought them to a place of unrest, to a place of difficulty. If you are lifting up that other person greater than yourself, you will never come to this place of having a fight. No one will put themselves in a bad light when they're retelling a story. We size ourselves up differently outside the world, vice ourselves. The first person we must be able to examine is ourselves. If you don't look at yourself realistically, you'll, not under, you'll never understand where your personal difficulties are coming from. Most people use two totally different sets of criteria for judging themselves and judging others. We tend to judge others according to their actions. It's very cut and dried. However, we judge ourselves by our intentions. Even if we do the wrong thing, we let ourselves off the hook if we believe our intentions were good. That's part of the reason we allow ourselves to make the same mistakes over and over again before we're willing to make real changes. Leadership, Mishpocha, isn't about having a title. I learned this in my 22 years of naval service. Quite often those that have the title and say they're in charge, they're really not in charge. I would get to a new ship and just sit back for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, several months and find out who's really running the show. Quite often, it was not the person who had the title. Many desire to be the big shot, but they aren't willing to put in the time, the effort, and the sacrifice. The reality is the true leaders put themselves last. True leaders require great humility, patience, and perseverance. I once had an individual who self-appointed himself to men's ministry in this congregation without even conferring or speaking with me. He wasn't able to do so as his own personal life was in complete shambles. Leadership requires years to develop, and you have to self-sacrifice. To do so, you have to take action. Acts 7, verse 22, so Moses was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and became both a powerful speaker and a man of action. How clearly do you see yourself? Do you get a more objective look at yourself? Review your performance from last year. List all your major goals, your objectives, and mark each one as either achieved or not achieved. Now show this list to someone you know and respect and tell that person you're evaluating a candidate for a job. Ask them what you think based upon the candidate's achievements and failures. How does that person's evaluation jive with your own? This will tell you a lot about your self-perception. Next, keys to leading yourself. Why is leading yourself well so important? Because there's a lot riding on it. God has given each one of us a calling, a destiny, specific things to do in the kingdom. You've seen in the media industry so many times the great gifts of young singers that were raised up in the body of Messiah to worship and praise God, turn those gifts to a worldly and ungodly venue. They apostatize from God. They become millionaires, but that was not God's intention for them. God has something for me to do. I want to complete that during my lifetime here on earth, and I pray you do as well. I don't want to fail because I wasn't willing to put in the hard work when no one else was looking. Paul understood this, 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. He said, now every athlete in training submits himself to strict discipline, and he does it just to win a laurel or wreath that will soon wither away. But we do it to win a crown that will last forever. Accordingly, verse 26, I don't run aimlessly, but straight for the finish line. I don't shadow box, but try to make every punch count. Verse 27, I treat my body hard and make it my slave so that after proclaiming the good news to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In other words, Paul worked hard at leading himself so that he could effectively lead others and make a difference for the kingdom of God on this earth. If that's your goal, there's four things you can do to improve your self-leadership. 
Number one, learn followership. Bishop Fulton J. Sheen remarked, civilization is always in danger when those who have never learned to obey are given the right to command. Only a leader who has followed well knows how to lead others well. Good leadership requires an understanding of the world that followers live in. Connecting with your congregation, your staff becomes possible because you've walked in their shoes. I've shared this before, but for 15 years before we started the congregation, I worked in every ministerial role possible within a congregation. I did everything. Rabitzin, she taught, if you will, Shabbat school. I was head usher. I was security. I did uh, facilitatorship for addictions. You, you name it, prayer lines. We did it all. And at the time, it seemed like, how come every 18 months or 24 months, we're moving on to the next thing? It was like an unsettling time for us. In hindsight, I see now that he was teaching us how to serve in every rule possible in a congregation. That when we got to this point, we knew what our staff was going through. We knew what they were dealing with because we've done it ourselves. You know what it means to be under authority and thus have a better sense of how authority should be exercised. In the contrast, the leaders who have never followed well or submitted to authority tend to be prideful, unrealistic, rigid, Machiavellian, and tyrannical. They lord their position and power over others. We see this unfolding in our nation today. We see it in our cities. We see it in our states, our governors. We see lawsuits happening now that some states, you can have open protests, 10, 15, 20,000 people gathered shoulder to shoulder without face masks. That's legal. But if a congregation meets, if we come together on Shabbat, that's not allowed. And they're issuing fines and sending pastors and rabbis to jail. This is Machiavellian, tyrannical power, and they're becoming little kings and little tyrants that is bringing this nation to its knees. Yeshua warned against this in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. But Yeshua called them and said, you know that among the goyim, the nations, there are those who are supposed to rule, they become tyrants and their superiors become dictators. He said, among you, it must not be like that. On the contrary, whoever among you wants to be a leader must become your servant. Verse 27, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Verse 27, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Verse 28, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to make an impact on this world, you must first learn to follow, to serve under the authorities of others. Next, you have to develop self-discipline. This is one of the most critical arenas in the body of Messiah. You have to be self-disciplined in prayer and uh, your time with the Lord in journaling and seeking, reading his word. You've got to have discipline in this every day. You've got to get up on time. You've got to set hours. You've got to do all those detailed uh, things required from self-discipline to grow your business, your congregation, whatever you're doing. It said that one day Frederick the Great of Prussia was walking on the outskirts of Berlin when he encountered a very old man walking ramrod straight in the opposite direction. Who are you, Frederick asked his subject. I'm a king, replied the old man. A king, laughed Frederick. Over what kingdom do you reign? Over myself, was a proud old man's reply. Each one of us is a monarch over our own lives. We're responsible for ruling our actions and decisions to make consistently good decisions, to take the right action, the godly action, the godly decision at the right time, and to refrain from the wrong actions, which requires character and integrity and self-discipline, to slay that flesh every day. To do otherwise is to lose self-control, to do or say things we regret, to miss the opportunities we were given, 
to spend ourselves into debt. As Solomon remarked, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the leader, Proverbs 22, verse 7. When we are foolish, we want to conquer the world. When we are wise, we want to conquer ourselves. This begins when we do what we should, no matter how we feel about it. Next is practice patience. Leaders are often impatient people because they're type A personalities. They want to get things done. The leaders I know, they look ahead. They're thinking ahead. They want to be one, two, three months, years ahead to stay ahead of what God is doing. And and this is good. Don't get me wrong. Being one step ahead makes you a leader. However, impatience can also lead to trouble. We read scripturally when Saul was going out to battle and he was supposed to wait for Shmuel and he didn't come and some of his army started drifting away. So Saul took things into his own hand and prepared and did the sacrifice himself when Samuel shows up. God was angry, he was impatient and it got him in trouble. He lost the throne and the kingship because of this. Some of the greatest leadership gaffes have come because shortcuts are made instead of respecting the leadership process. Few worthwhile things in life come quickly. I've shared this numerous times. We live in such an instantaneous society. We've got gigabands of broadband. You put a card in instantly, you get money out from the ATM. Everything operates in our realm in nanoseconds. However, leadership is developed over time. Few things worthwhile come quickly. There's no such thing as instant greatness or instant maturity. You're not instantly a leader. It's not for you, not for your staff or the members of your congregation. We're used to instant oatmeal, instant coffee, microwave popcorn. But to develop a good leader, it doesn't happen overnight. Those who do so, those who think that that kind of a leader don't have any staying power. We see that even our own historical leadership. Leadership is more of a crockpot proposition. It takes time, but the end product is worth the wait. Leaders need to remember that the point of leading is not to cross the finish line first. It's to take people across the line with you. Isn't this why God called us to ministry to shepherd the flock for the sake of others? God is in the people business and so are we. This is why true biblical leadership requires great sacrifice because you're bringing the congregation with you. So in these three preceding areas, fellowship, self-discipline, or patience, what area do you need to most grow in? What new task or practice could you take on to develop in this area? Give yourself some concrete goals and a deadline and get to it. And last, there must be accountability. Few things are more disheartening or harmful than seeing believers fail in their trust because of an ethical failure. This is widespread in the greater body today. In fact, we've had several prophetic words given in this that Hasetan is working overtime in the body of Messiah to get leaders to fail. Sexual temptations, it's happening and we read about it every week. People who lead themselves well know a secret. They can't trust themselves. Good leaders know that power can be seductive and they understand their own fallibility. To deny it is to put yourself in danger. Over the years, I've read so many, about so many leaders who have failed ethically in their leadership. Can you guess what they all had in common? Yeah, that's right. Everyone thought that would never happen to them. A false sense of security. I read years ago about the late Reverend Billy Graham who traveled the world and spread the good news, was was involved in a great charismatic outpouring and awakening in the 60s and the 70s. He always traveled with several men of accountability. He shared numerous times he would be traveling and he would get a hotel room and he would have those men go into the room first 
and there would be a prostitute or a woman in that room trying to snatch Billy Graham from his purposes and get him into an ethical failure. He was a very wise man and stayed true to God his entire life with no ethical failures. This is a sobering realization that leads us to make two commitments that I hope you'll make for your own sake, for the sake of your family, and for even our own congregation here, Congregation Zion's sake. Number one, I will not trust myself. Number two, I will become accountable to others. Accountability isn't just a willingness to explain your actions to others. It begins long before we act. It starts with seeking and accepting advice from others. Most wrong actions come about because people are not held accountable early enough. You've got to take action. How well do you take advice? How well do you take correction? How well are you open that people can speak into you? Ask five to 10 friends, colleagues, and family members to evaluate you according to the scale. You don't want advice. You don't object to advice. You welcome advice. You actively seek advice. You often follow the advice given to you. Average your scores. If your average is below a four, you need to improve in this area. Begin enlisting others in your information gathering process before you make decisions. If you're married, begin with your spouse. Leading yourself well means that you hold yourself to a higher standard of accountability than others do. And why? Because God holds you responsible, not only for your actions, but for those uh, the people you lead. If you're a married person, you're going to be held responsible for your wife and your children. If you lead a congregation, you're going to be responsible for the staff of the congregation. Leadership is a trust. It's not a right. For that reason, you must fix yourself earlier than others may be required to. Thomas J. Watson, the former chairman of IBM, said, nothing so conclusively proves a man's ability to lead others as what he does from day to day to lead himself. Leaders receive very little fanfare for quietly leading themselves well day in and day out. No one's going to you know, pat you on the back for turning off the wrong channels or disengaging for pornography. It's the kind of things you have to do in secret. Integrity is what you do when you think no one's watching. Most people are unaware of disciplines their leaders practice or the sacrifices they make outside of the spotlight. However, they don't do it for recognition. It's not for a title. They do it for results to see the transformation in people's lives. What leaders do day to day always reveals itself in the long run. Success or failure isn't an event, but it's a process. It's what you do over the long haul. The bottom line is that the smallest crowd you'll ever lead is you, but it's the most important one. And if you do that well, then you'll earn the right to do even bigger crowds, and God will give you more responsibility. And on the days that you find it difficult to lead yourself well and you're tempted to give up, remember Yeshua's parable. To the servants who managed their affairs well, their master gave them greater leadership responsibilities. He put them in charge of cities. In Luke 19, verse 17, it said, Excellent, he said to them, You're a good servant. Because you've been trustworthy in a small matter, I'm putting you in charge of 10 towns. What's more, he told them, Well done. Lead yourself well, Mishpochah, and God will reward your faithfulness. Your business will grow, your congregation will grow, your family will improve, and people will see the power of God at work in your life and in all that you do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.